This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to The Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BREW and get 10% off your total order. Now on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Mark Holcomb, guitarist of Periphery and Haunted Shores. Um, Full transparency, though, we don't really talk about either of those projects. This was more of a loose conversation with Mark, uh, which is something I was really excited to have him come on and do. Uh, I had heard him on the Just STFU podcast of Kyle Conkeel from Bad Wolves and of Doc Coyle's uh, X-Man podcast recently, and just was like, man... I'm really enjoying hearing Mark just kind of shoot the shit with these two dudes. And, you know, that's kind of the fun thing about checking out other podcasts is sometimes it's almost like when you hear someone in a different capacity than you've heard them previously, you kind of get to see more of who they are. And that's the kind of fun thing about those two shows for me is it's them kind of talking to people they know and they're just not necessarily focused on pushing an album or doing normal press. So you're kind of getting to see more of that person that they're having on and as well as those two as well. Um, So at that point, I had reached out to Mark and I was like, look, I'd love to have you come on and just kind of shoot the shit with me. And, you know, through emailing and kind of building a little bit of a rapport uh, in trying to set up the the time to talk, um, Mark and I were emailing when I was out in San Antonio and about to go to a Spurs game. And unbeknownst to me, like I know that Mark is a big Chicago sports fan, but I didn't know that he was potentially planning on going to that game as well because uh, he lives over in Austin. So it was only like an hour away from him and chose not to last minute just to kind of get some work done. And was one of those things where, you know, we started talking about sports and I was like, dude, we're definitely going to talk sports because um, that's the funny thing. As I've grown up, I didn't really have the opportunity to have friends who were as passionate about sports and passionate about music in my life. It's only really been, I would say, probably in the last, 
five or six years, I've kind of really found people who are into both. Growing up and playing sports, you know, I remember uh, my senior year of football, uh, toxicity was a big record that the, the whole team was really enjoying. Um, but by and large, a lot of the people I played with and, and in other sports too, you know, wrestling and basketball and track, I didn't really find people who were really into music that, that kind of used music to motivate them in their workouts and so forth. I remember working out in the weight rooms and stuff and, and even during track season, you know, running around with my iPod mini and uh, maybe even my disc man at that point, I'm not entirely sure, but really having like albums like Slipknot's Iowa really fueling my workouts, uh, really pushing me to, to kind of be more aggressive and, and uh, get that extra bit out of my workouts. But then, you know, I'm also, as I'm listening to these and they're providing this soundtrack for me, they're also, I'm also listening to them as a huge music fan and really getting something out of it, you know, especially with that Slipknot record. Just, you know, the, the transition that Ross Robinson was able to pull out of the band from the first record to Iowa. And it was just one of those things, like, I really had no one to talk to about that. Or, you know, like, if I did have someone to talk to, like one of my best friends, Jason, you know, he wasn't really big into sports, so I couldn't really... You know, my worlds weren't really crossing. And then it's like once I graduated, I basically found this whole new world of people who were really into music, but fucking hated sports. So it's one of those where, you know, when you're able to kind of find your your, your people and you're able to really kind of expose, I guess, more of who you are, the conversations you have with these people are a lot more fulfilling because you're able to kind of pull from a lot of different things in your life. And so for me, it was just really great to talk to Mark. I mean, he's only, I think, a year older than me. So we have that same sweet spot of movie references and, and sports teams and dynasties and, and all those kind of things. Plus, while I'll say Mark probably knows a lot more about some of the underground metal scene that I probably wasn't aware of because I was going more down the hip hop scene and so forth uh, and R&B at times than I was metal, I still think we have the same reference for people and players and musicians and so forth. So that was really cool. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous about what Periphery fans are going to think since we don't spend a whole lot of time uh, talking about Periphery or Haunted Shores. And the capacity that we do is, uh, I think, very interesting, just kind of talking about internet culture and so on and so forth. Um, but you know what? Let's stop talking about what you're going to hear and get into the conversation with Mark, and I'll talk to you on the other side of it. <laughs> That's, I mean, I didn't read what it was. I thought it was an overdose, but I got yep, drug was. overdose. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's awful. Him. Yeah. Uh, they took him off. Um, they took him off the ventilators and stuff. I think uh, they said this morning or whatever, or I guess yesterday and he was doing okay. They made it seem like, and then um, he wasn't able to like breathe on his own, I guess. So now they're um, putting him back into like, I, or I guess he already was in ICU, but they're putting him, uh, back on a bunch of stuff and they said that he probably lost uh if he's able to pull through it looks like there's possibly going to be some some brain uh function stuff that's not going to be there either so Ooh. it does not look good god man yeah i mean shit. it's uh it's one of those for me like you know i'm kind of it's always sad like you know everyone kind of comes out of the woodwork when 
someone big dies or passes away and, you know, knock on wood, he's able to pull out, pull through, uh, not have anything be, be wrong with him or anything like that. But it's uh, it's one of those where it's always kind of like, you know, you see people like, Oh, you know, RIP so-and-so. And you're like, I don't really know that you ever really were a fan of yeah. this person. Yeah. It's kind of clout chasing a little bit, but you know, I'm really thankful that uh, since he's been released from prison in the last, you know, seven, eight years or so, like I've gotten to see him a handful of times. Um, so it's one of those for me where it's like, at least I got to see him um, yeah. and kind of back on the comeback, um, so to speak. So um, at the absolute worst, you know, I, I have no, uh, no regrets. You know, it wasn't like one of those bands where I was or artist that I was like, fuck, I wish I could have seen them. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. So. I, um, I, I haven't kept track of him since man, like the early days when I was in, like at this point, I was probably in my twenties, you know, like I'm 38 now. And I remember going to clubs and like, you know, being, being fucked up and partying and stuff like that. And like hearing his songs in clubs and be like, that dude sounds like a party. Like he sounds like a rate, just his voice, just the, yeah. the, the timbre of his voice. He sounds like he wants you to go and make some mistakes. Uh, and I remember that, that was what I associated with his voice. And, and like, I honestly, I knew he was an actor. I knew he had struggled with addiction, but I haven't ever seen you know what he was up to since those days but uh it just it just sucks to see that somebody who's who's not that old somebody who has a lot of success who's obviously amazing at what he does and he's got a following behind him to you know just to just to see it kind of fall apart like that and to see it addiction win again you know which it's, it seems like it does most of the time i think that's kind of the the, the interesting thing like i saw um paramount plus i guess is getting right it's so weird to keep track of like what's the new streaming app streaming platform. Yeah. yeah but uh paramount and i don't know if it's out already so it may it may be but uh that they're bringing the mighty ducks back as like a show mm. um and I, I, lauren graham i was like i can't remember her fucking name uh lauren graham from gilmore girls is in it with emilio estevez and basically i think she's got a son and all the stuff so they're basically kind of redoing that but i did see something that like maybe half of the original mighty ducks or some of them are back in an episode or whatever. And then a bunch of people online were like, well, where the fuck is uh, Goldberg. Goldberg? But then yeah. I was like, dude, Goldberg, the guy, the whoever, I can't remember his name, but that dude has been like ribbing, living a really hard life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw a follow-up article that was like, you know, he's, he's been sober for about 14, 16 months. I think something like that, about a year and a half. Yeah. Um, he's trying to uh, get in the good graces and kind of be a part of the project. Maybe not obviously for this season that's already done, but for a follow-up if there is and kind of, you know, get back. Um, Cause yeah. I think he is one of the, one of the bigger names from that movie and that franchise. And, and really sadly, like, you know, he kind of was always in those like B movies um, yeah. as kind of the comedic relief. But, you know, I, I think by and large um, I just get kind of tired of seeing you know, like I think Scott Weiland's a great example. Like everyone was making fun of that dude. Oh, look at how terrible he sounds. Look at how awful he looked. He's fucked up. Like this is, mm-hmm. and they're just ripping on him. And then he died mm-hmm. like a month later. And everyone's like, oh, it's so, so sad. sad. I, mean, right. I was a huge fan. And you're like, well, yeah. if you're a huge fan, then you wouldn't fucking rip on the dude. Like right. when he's having problems, like that's not, I don't know. Right. It's just, it's weird to kind of see the world we live in with the, the internet being what it is in comment sections being as negative as they are, where sometimes it seems like you get some kind of, I I don't know, like points or something for fucking being roasting somebody at their lowest moment. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's part of the reason, man, like the, the more and more I, I get into my career and the more I do this, 
the the more I distance myself from looking at comments and questions because it's just it's just it's it's not really my place to figure out, you know. And I, I'm there for a very specific reason to provide music. That's my job. Just, it's, it's just to to put out music and then maybe every once in a while put out a social media post too, to <laughs> to promote it. But like trying to make too much sense of it, which I've been guilty of in the past, like scouring the lists of, 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 of comments and questions. It's like, you can spend your whole day doing that and it's not really good for anybody. Uh, you, you know, like, I mean, people may feel honored or privileged to get a response, but like, I don't know, like it, 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 it has driven me crazy in the past trying to make too much sense out of it. So I just kind of look at it for what it is and, and let the comments do their thing and I go on living my life. So yeah, I don't read them to be honest. It's, I, I find it to just be an interesting thing. Cause I feel like, your band to me is such an anomaly in that regard. Like, you know, I understand bands that have like rabid fan bases. Absolutely. Like, I, you know, I'm that way with certain bands. Like every time I die is one of my favorite bands. Mm. The band him is one of my favorite bands. Like I know a lot about all of those people, but like there becomes a point and maybe it's because I, I have friends in the touring world and I, and I do this now too, where it's like, you kind of have to, separate you as a fan and kind of pull out like the good questions, the good parts about being an Uber fan and find the good questions that maybe you haven't found, but treat the person as a person. Like, you know, something I, th I think the moment I kind of realized that is, you know, a tree is one of my favorite bands. And in the time of doing this over the last five years or so, I've gotten to know Porter really well, like considered him a really good friend and it's weird because there are times like where I go and hang out with him and I'm like, yeah, it's just, it, you are who you are. Like we have a texting relationship and shit. And when we're around, we hang out, but then, you know, there's that hour or so where like, he's playing some of my favorite songs from when I was like, mm -hmm. you know, 18. Yeah. And there's that part where you're just like, huh? Like, I still love these songs. I still love this band. But like, I think because now I know him and the rest of the dudes more is just people a little bit of that luster i guess i don't know has kind of been removed and now i'm just like oh you just happen to be people who make really awesome music and aren't great yeah. musicians but, but you're just people yeah and, and i think what exactly what you're describing is why these interactions and, and taking meaning away from interactions with fans is way more insightful when it's done face to face instead of on the internet because people will say shit on the internet that they would never say to your face in real life and that's another side of it it's yeah. like it's like, I mean, you mentioned Spencer earlier for the first number of years that we were doing our thing, you know, on a big level, uh, Spencer used to get, you know, criticism of criticism of his voice. You know, he had a very polarizing voice in that day. And like, I, to this day, I still don't understand it, but you know, he would get, you get grilled for whatever people didn't like his, his singing or whatever. And then they would seem live, same fucking people, dude, killer show. You sound great. You know, you're nailing it. It's like. And, and the same thing, dude, like we, we put out an album in 2014 called Juggernaut, which was received in a very lukewarm fashion. I remember we released a song called The Scourge and it was like people were like, eh. and then now, seven years later, it's like, oh, it's my favorite record. <laughs> it's, just, it's like a revered thing. It's like, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't pretend to understand it. I don't even try to understand it anymore, but I do know that people will say things online that they would never fucking say to your face. And that's why when I meet a fan, like, or when I meet somebody who wants to ask me question X or Y in person, 
that's when I can take something away from it. That's when I can look them in the eyes and they can look me in the eyes and we can have a real interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I genuinely love that kind of shit, man. Like I, I love doing clinics and, and workshops and master classes and stuff like that because I can have that kind of interaction with people that it's just frankly impossible to have even over live stream or, or, or typing dude, YouTube comments are a fucking toilet. You know what I mean? Like try, <laughs> you can't have any real valuable interaction over a comment section. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. The, the social media platform it just doesn't matter. Well, I think that's like, you know, like in the point I was starting to make, I think that's the interesting thing about you guys though, is I, I wonder how much of it is predicated on the fact that, you know, you guys are, we'll call it, you know, you guys troll like even yourselves. Like you, you don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't take a lot of things seriously necessarily. Like I remember even when talking to Spencer uh, that first time on that tour, you know, I had made the comment about um, seeing the song titles, basically the working titles uh, in the making of what was going to be P four, and mm-hmm. you know that you blurt some of them out, then you didn't, uh, and you know you guys are talking about some of the working album titles, like you know the Lamp P four time and things like that, and the fact that <laughs> you don't take things seriously yourself and and things like that. So it makes me wonder if that's kind of why your fan base is kind of unique unto itself in the fact that you know like there's the what is it the gent shit posting or whatever and or something like that and it's got i think misha or misha shit postings like there's facebook groups like that and shit and you're just like you're one of the few bands where i feel like you're at the epicenter of like trolling but i feel like i haven't figured out if it's because like if your fans are the ones that do it because of the and i hate to say this even but like because metal and, and you know like the scene itself is such an elitist kind of mentality that it brings out and like you guys are at the upper echelon musical wise like musicianship wise that people are like well this is the top tier of this and either it's everything we love so like god tier whatever let's fucking shit on everything else and make fun of because whatever and these guys make fun of themselves or they're so cringe because they're so good and everyone loves them so let's tear them down like you're you're on both sides of it, and it's just so interesting to me to see to see that because like I don't really know that there's any other band out right now that deals with that as much as maybe you guys do. I, I you know I've I've noticed that too, and I think there's one thing too that, that that is sort of tied to us historically. Like I mean, I got to know Jake and Misha through sending stupid memes to each other back in <laughs> 2006 and 2007. And that was just part of how we came to know each other, like sending internet memes on MySpace back in the day. And that was how we sort of cultivated our friendship. And that's never left our dynamic. And, you know, the more we do this, the more inside jokes we have, the less seriously we take how we're perceived, uh, which maybe isn't the most natural progression, uh, you know, throughout someone's career. But like, I mean, it's part of our history. It's part of how we're known. We carry ourselves in a way that's like, look, we're not going to pretend we're somebody else. This is who we are. We like to have fun. We take a lot of it really fucking seriously. We take the essential core of periphery as serious as death. You know, like it's, it's, um, we don't, we don't, we don't joke about band business. We don't joke about the stuff that really matters to us. Everything else up for grabs. It's, it's just, uh, we, we don't, really pretend to take that stuff seriously and we lean into it like i I know that there are a lot of bands out there who probably don't want to be perceived as this um you know completely transparent um you know just a guy behind his computer type of thing but like that's what we are and i think i think fans pick up on that uh they play into it they have fun with us which i which i appreciate uh when the humor is shared and there's also this other weird effect too where it's like they 
they um <laughs> they they assume that they can do that kind of humor with us and this is a weird one too because like i'll be out you know getting food somewhere like philadelphia before a show or something or whatever random city and then a fan will come up to me and they'll start like doing meme talk to me or like start joking about something from a documentary and it's like it it's funny but at the same time it's like okay like I don't really know you, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> sometimes it's, it's a little creepy because it's like, okay, look, and then the humor is kind of the same as I share with my band members, mm-hmm. but I, that that's kind of not an invitation to whatever random person to come and have that same interaction with you. You, you, you know, is that, is that making sense? It makes total sense because like I said, having a bunch of friends that have toured and, and various levels of success, whatever, like I remember uh, the band see next Tuesday. Um, a friend of mine, Fox is the, is the vocalist. And I had to drive him to like their CD release tour uh, start. And they were playing with, uh, I wrestled a bear once. And it was like literally the first date of the tour and the Iwabo camp was like, hey, so the guys in and I can't remember the fucking band. Um, it would kind of make the joke a little funnier, but regardless, like they were like, hey, so we just did a tour with the whatever the other band was. And they're like, oh, yeah, we we did a tour with them, you know, like eight months ago. They were really rad. And they're like, yeah, they said to tell you guys. Like they were kind of doing that, like where it just like went as far, like as long as you could hold it or something like that. Or no, it was chia, chia. Like they just kept doing that, and then so they took a tour joke from. I guess that's like that band's tour joke. Like that's their running gag with everybody. So then all of a sudden, it was kind of funny to see the camaraderie of everyone just kind of starting to do that. Like first day of the tour, where yeah. they had an inside joke already going, and I got to kind of see the birth of it. But then it was really hard not to want to do it with them because I'm like dude, that's fucking funny. Like, you know, just to kind of, when you see someone hit them with one real fast, but then it's like, yeah, I'm not a part of that. So it'd be, and I didn't tour with that other band. So it's like, it's really fucking weird if I were to do it, even though I know the background of where it's coming from and why they're doing it, but I'm not a part of that. So I'm not going to. But but, you're feeling it out, which is smart. You're feeling it out. And if you decide that maybe, sure, I'll do it. At least there's a thought process behind it. And if you miss, you're not missing by a lot. There's a big difference between what you're describing and like somebody on the street just fucking cold calling you with a meme from 2009. I think that's the hard thing. Cause like, like I said, one of my favorite bands is every time I die. And I think because of, and like Lamb of God, even, you know, Doug did those movies, Doug Spangenberg. And he became like essentially the the fifth or sixth, fourth or fifth person or whatever in that band. And, you know, you see all these inside jokes like, you know, the Shinfo with Etid and, you know, with Lamb of God. Like, I don't know how many people I've heard and say to Randy's face, like, oh, shut up. I could beat you up because I saw yeah. you get beat up in that, you know, right. uh, that right. documentary. And you're like, dude, that was like fucking 12, 15 years ago. I don't drink anymore. And like, that's. Dude, like who the fuck would say that? And right. and that's right. the thing that gets kind of weird about some of these documentaries is we as fans watch them incessantly because mm-hmm. it's about something where we love and it brings us into something we want to be a part of. But right. like like I said kind of earlier with kind of doing this and kind of getting to meet more people and kind of being in the world, like I kind of realized like, yes, you can be a part of it and you can reference and have the knowledge of these things, but it is really fucking weird if you just start saying shit from something you saw seven years ago that probably isn't even a joke anymore, let alone isn't even, you might've watched it right before coming to the show. Cause man, I'm getting pumped to go see the show when we could still go to those, but it's one of those things where you probably 
aren't even aware of something you said in that documentary. Cause I mean, let's be honest, how many times, even when you're recording a record and if you're not playing one of those songs, like, yeah, you just recorded the record. I got to relearn it for this tour. Cause I don't remember what the fuck I wrote. I wrote it. Then I recorded it. Now I'm done. Like there's kind of those, that disassociation at times with things. And I think people just don't understand that. I get it on occasion when people listen to the podcast and like some of my friends will go back and I'll get text messages about, an episode I did three years ago, but I have no context of what they're talking about. It's just literally something from that episode that either they said or I said, and I have to hurry up and go through my whole Rolodex of memories and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, Oh yeah. That thing from three years ago. Absolutely. You know what I like to do in those scenarios when someone drops something super awkward that I had to do the same thing. I'm like, what the fuck is this motherfucker talking about? Like (laughs) I'll just, I'll just disarm it. I'll just be like, how are you, man? How's it going? <laughs> like, how, no, how, how, like, just tell me, how are you? Are you from around here? Like, is there good coffee around here? Like if somebody does that, I try to walk it back a little bit and like, and just turn it into a normal conversation. You know what I mean? Like that, cause that's, that's gotta be, that, weird. That, that's what I always want. And that's what I feel like I, I, uh, I, I rarely get when it comes to interactions like this, I try to steer it in that direction, even if it's awkward. In fact, sometimes it's even more fun if it's awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I I think the other thing that's interesting about your band, and and I think, you know, I couldn't necessarily speak to this with Spencer because I, I would assume he does get this being the vocalist and people wanting to learn how to scream or sing like he does and so forth. And just kind of, uh, you know, get the knowledge, but does it get, Burden is the word in my head, but I don't know if that's the word I want to use, but what is it like kind of being one of the people that like almost seemingly fans and the industry look to, to be on top of like the best gear, the best tones, the best everything as far as being a player. Um, yeah, it's not something I think about uh, very often, to be honest. Like I, I don't think of myself as an authority and I know, you know, I, I talk gear all the time with Misha and Jake and, and everybody in the band, Nolly, even, even though he's not in the band anymore. Um, and he's certainly, I look at Nolly and like that, what that guy has accomplished over the years um, is, is just, is really impressive. But I think part of what keeps us sharp and part of what keeps us hungry and, and constantly thinking about it is just, I guess it's not zooming out, you know, it's just like staying in it and, and, and just trying regularly to up our game. And, and for instance, you know, if there's problems, not problems, but if we look at periphery four, be it, be it the mix or the songs or the arrangement or the guitar tone or whatever is never being afraid to say that, Hey, this can be done better. Or what if we try this instead? And I think that tinkering mentality, um, this this sort of lack of satisfaction drives us and and if and if people look at that and they they consider us to be at the forefront of it or on the cutting edge of it um that's very flattering but to to us it's just this uh it's just kind of this kind of never-ending journey of just caring about what's under the hood you know this 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 drive this kind of an obsession really um with with the craft and the, I'm talking about the, the dirty work within the craft, you know, it's like, it's not just about releasing the music. It's not the big rock star stuff. It's not playing the shows necessarily. It's uh, how do we get all of this stuff to work? The minutia, the shit that, that nobody will ever 
see or hear us talk about necessarily. So I, I think that's where it starts. And that's what I appreciate about the band. That's what I love about, you know, somebody like, like Spencer. It's like, people don't really realize what Spencer does in this band. He's our singer. He's a lyricist. He, you know, he does all the things you see him on stage for, but he, he's also like a world-class engineer, mixer, producer, and he does all that within our band and he does it for other bands. And that's the kind of stuff that people don't really know a lot about. And it doesn't matter all that much because <laughs> what he contributes, what he brings to the table is part of what you're hearing at the end of the day in periphery. So that, that's what, that's what I love, man. I, I love all the, the unspoken, unseen, unheard of shit that kind of makes periphery the vehicle that it's known for. It's just interesting. Cause like, I think when you, you know, like we look at like Christopher Nolan, I would, I would say most mm. everyone would agree. He's a, in as short a time as he's been making movies is now considered like one of the top tier directors. His films are probably going to stand the test of time. You know, I just saw tenant uh, on my flight back from or on my flight to San Antonio. And even though I was watching it on a tiny little fucking screen on the back of someone's chair uh, still could tell like the attention to detail for that movie the the i mean the fact that you're literally watching something happen and the concept is that you're for everything that's happening in real time there's something happening in reverse uh that's also basically happening in its real time and so forth and i mean just the like i said attention to detail and the and the scope of like the shots and so forth and just how everything needed to be thought out and planned like i think that's what he's always done in all of his movies um yeah. But it's one of should should I rent it by the way because I've I've wanted to see that movie. Yeah, so I was. um, It was funny at one point the Delta sign uh, popped up because I didn't I don't know if I've just never noticed it on Delta flights when you're watching a movie like it'll pop up a Delta, but it popped up like when they were saying something and like someone was talking and they were kind of talking about things in reverse or whatever and then like Delta popped up but like not in a very not obvious spot or what I thought was obvious. And so I had to go from the flight from here in GR to Detroit. And then I made a note of where my timestamp was. I could continue the movie from Detroit to San Antonio. But I also made a note, uh, Google to make sure that Delta isn't like actually was just Delta Airlines. And it's just their like logo or something like the thing they put on just to clarify that it's theirs in case you're trying to like stream it or something. Um, And not like an actual like keyword or something that's going to pop up. And I need to keep track of these words throughout the movie or something. Right. right, right. Um, <laughs> but that's, I mean, in this day and age, like it wouldn't surprise me if he like threw shit like that in there, like to be like, Oh, here's like these words. And then this is, if you put the sentence together, it's going to reveal something. Like I was like, wouldn't put it past him. So, yeah. um, but no, I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, I tend to find, you know, I know a lot of people are like, Oh, watching movies on flights is terrible. But I think for me, it's a great way to really get ensconced in the experience because like literally, you know, you have, or at least I do have like these like noise canceling headphones and shit. So like I hear everything and I can't really hear anything else. And then I'm focused on what it is. Like when I watch Midsommar on my flight back from Vegas, I feel like even though it wasn't on a giant screen, I felt like I was more engrossed in it because I was like in my own world watching it mm. and noticed a lot of little minute things like the flowers, like breathing basically in the movie, like when everyone's constantly on drugs in that movie and, um, you know, picking up some of like the little uh, nonverbal clues, uh, at least in Midsommar of like, um, hey, like this girl went through these traumatic, I don't know if you've ever, if you've seen it. I've never yet. seen the movie. I've been wanting okay. to see it. I've never seen it. Yeah. Okay. So like there's a, the, the way the movie opens, 
sets kind of a tone for something that's happening and down the road we'll uh have to email or something about it when you watch Midsommar because it is one of those movies for me where uh I saw it first and then I saw um God, was that other movie that the same dude did um the first one um with the guy catching on fire um oh fuck. um I'm gonna have to google because Yes, backdraft. <laughs> yes. Um, it's going to bother me, and I know people are like going to be like, oh, you motherfucker. Like, could you guys not know? Uh, Hereditary. Oh, okay. I, I saw that movie. Yeah, okay, yeah. so I, I saw Midsommar first, and then I saw Hereditary, and a lot of people are like, oh, Hereditary is the better movie out of the two, and I think I like Midsommar a little bit better because I think it's a little bit more cerebral. Um mm-hmm. Whereas I think hereditary, if you're paying attention, like I just kind of said with tenant, I made a note to go and make sure that the Delta thing was for the flight and not some random clue that I was being given for a piece right. of the, um, so with hereditary, I felt like they gave you enough little clues throughout to kind of notice to kind of put together what was happening. So when the big reveal at the end happens, I wasn't like, Oh my God, I never saw this coming. It was like, no, this is kind of where I figured it was going. Yeah. I just didn't know it was to this level. Um, that that movie explores, but um, Tenet I thought was really good. Um, the surprise for me actually was the gentleman, that Guy Ritchie movie with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Mm. I heard a lot of people shit on it, and I thought it was a great Guy Ritchie movie throwing through. Mm. Never seen it, man. I haven't seen a Guy Ritchie movie in a long time. I hadn't yeah. either, but um, mm. a lot of people like when it came out. I remember just a lot of people panning it and being like, "Oh, Matthew McConaughey in a Guy Ritchie movie, it's not great." I don't know. I thought, I thought it was for success. If you ask me, it was a really good fucking movie. Hmm. Um, I thought in the, the dude, Charlie Hunnam uh, from sons of anarchy was in it. And I had just made the comment to someone cause my wife and I had just watched that for the first time all the way through. We're like, I was like, man, what the fuck happened to that dude? Like he was primed and poised to be like the next big, like action dude kind of. And I don't feel like he's done anything. And then yeah, I, yeah. there he was in that movie. And I was like, oh, well, there he is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, no, I, I, so back to your previous point, I, I hear what you're saying about the attention to detail. And that's one of those things that, um, that, 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 like I look at any other sort of medium, right? Like I look at, you were bringing up movie making, like I, I'm a huge sports buff, you know, like I love, I love sports. I love every major sport pretty much. And that's one of the things that has always piqued my interest with it is like, you see, you know, LeBron James or Stephen Curry or whatever super athlete you know, is playing whatever sport. What we don't see is them showing up at five in the morning to take jump shots. You know what I mean? What we don't see is this almost like, like scary attention to detail, this like antisocial, um, almost demented from the outside looking um, uh, attention to detail. And if you were sort of a fly on the wall during our process, I think that a, a lot of people would think that, or we're just these sort of clowns fucking around the studio who don't, who do like 30 minutes of work a day and <laughs> don't really take any of it seriously. We're just sitting there making dick and ball jokes, you know, uh, which that happens, but most of it, it, it's work. It's fucking work and it's attention to detail and it, and it, and it is zeroing in on, 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 on stuff that, that people really don't ever hear about you know they, they, they're just not privy to so that's the kind of stuff that i love man and, and when i when i see a crazy movie like that you know like i saw a movie um it's called i care a lot on netflix have you have you seen it 
No, I'm sorry. I, I just saw a, a time hop on my Facebook, and, it, and the movie was called "I'm Just Fucking with You." And the reason okay. I watched it was because Chino from the Deftones did the score for it. Uh, oh. it's, it's a weird movie. Um, mm, okay. Not sure if I liked it or not. Uh, it's kind of out there, but yeah, I thought yeah. that for some reason that almost popped the same thing. I was like, "Oh yes, actually, I just weirdly enough was seeing that I saw that the other day." But no, um, what was it called again? When, when you get a chance, go go watch this on Netflix. It's like one of the top movies in the country right now. It's called "I Care a Lot." It's got um, what's your name? Uh, I think your name's Ro- Rosamund Pike. Okay, um, she's she was from Gone Girl. Um, um, but uh, yeah, that movie was unreal, and the whole time I was just thinking, damn, there's just no fat in this movie, like mm-hmm. everything in this movie is for a very specific reason. It's like an episode of Kirby Enthusiasm where everything <laughs> is tight, there's no extraneous material there, there's no wasted second. Uh, everything is to accomplish some kind of mechanism that is going to come back around, whether it's minutes or 20 minutes from now. Uh, yeah, I, I love that shit, man, and I, I get to thinking, I'm like, wow. These people really sweat over the details. Uh, and, and I think that's just a cool thing, no matter what it is. Well, I think the interesting thing about filmmaking, like when I was getting um, so other, other, God damn, I can't do this other side. Okay, so that's the wrong side. So this side, when I was getting this side of my neck tattooed, uh, here in my house, actually, Chris from Mothership, or not Mothership, Chris from uh, Crowbot, uh, they were on tour and staying here at the house. And we were collectively, the band, my wife and I were, or I was facing the other way, but we were watching this movie called Blood Sand or blood in the sand it's a fucking shitty b-horror movie at best um but it was on like showtime or whatever and we were watching it and everyone we watched the whole thing we made fun of it the whole time and you know at the end they're like god what a dog piece of shit movie this was and i go you know what like i used to feel that way about a lot of these things i go but here's like like let's look at let's turn it around on itself for a minute someone wrote this this is someone's idea they wrote it then they went because it's an independent movie and found financial backing for this thing. Then they created jobs for everyone associated with this. Then they fucking did something. They created something out of nothing and then got distribution to get it onto this channel so people can watch it beyond just whatever. I would assume you as musicians would understand how great that is, like a success in and of itself. The fact that someone wanted to do something, they created this idea out of nothing and they fucking made it happen. Yeah, and now yeah. we're sitting here watching it, and I mean, it knows what it is. Like, I mean, that's the thing; it unapologetically knows what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like, that's the thing, though, is I was like, it's easy to shit on stuff, but I think if we really take like two seconds, step back, and look at it from a different perspective, you should be more like thankful that, like, yeah, could you have watched something that was way better? Absolutely. But I sometimes think it's even more amazing that something like the Human Centipede exists. Yeah. It's like, fuck did you get that who came up with that secondly how did you get financing for it third yeah. look at how it broke the fucking internet basically yeah. and then to create two other movies uh that get even more ridiculous like it's almost like tremors at it to a level like where you're just huh. like what the fuck like i think that's the thing is I, I kind of and maybe it's because you know i'm a year younger than you we came up in this weird era in the 80s and early 90s where like you know, you look at these some of these movies that came out, and you're like, "What? How the f- who the fuck greenlit this? Like, yeah. Critters? How did Critters become a big budget movie or Gremlins? Like, what the fuck? Like, these movies are like, were you high on cocaine and pitched this motherfucker to a financier and somebody else? And they're like, yeah, how much would you need to ten million dollars? Sure, fuck it, let's go. 
Yeah, I think this nostalgia has kind of desensitized to us the concept of gremlins <laughs> and how how fucking ridiculous the concept of gremlins is. And I just think yeah. gremlins like, oh, that's that's adorable, but they're little creatures where where you pour water on. Like the the premise is so ridiculous. And the movie, I remember the movie kind of looked like a kids movie when I was young, but is very much not a kids movie. Like yeah. the, it, that movie's fucking terrifying for a kid. And then it's, they sort of doubled down on the kid factor for two, like made them campy <laughs> and funny. Right, right, but it's objectively not for children. Yeah, I, I yeah. think about that stuff all the time too. Uh, how many how many green lights had to be involved for this like ridiculous piece of art? Had to, and a Human Centipede is a great example. I still can't watch those fucking movies. No, like, no, no, I can't. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm weird with certain types of violence in movies. Uh, like, I don't mind watching violence in movies, but there's there's okay, there's mobster violence, which I've always found like Casino and like you know I love Godfather movies, but like there's some types of mobster violence like the laying dudes across two chairs and smashing their kneecaps kind of thing it's like okay i <laughs> fine um and and then there's like that kind of stuff you know like this this like serbian film human centipede just like violence porn kind of thing where it's just like i see a little bit of it okay okay i i'm gonna go fucking watch something else <laughs> I don't know. yeah i i I mean, it, that's the other thing, too, is like, you know, I feel like growing up kind of in the mid 80s and stuff like that, like my my dad especially was big into horror movies. So like watching, you know, the campy like motel hells and stuff like that. But then and I know that's more of like a 70s style movie, but then even kind of growing up and watching, you know, the Terminator to me, the first Terminator kind of feels a little bit more like a horror film than it does mm. a science fi fiction yeah. or thriller. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. when he fucking tears off his thing and it's just this robot sent to kill you, it's like, that's yep. scary as fuck. Yeah. Um, so bad. Yeah. And then it became an action movie, but like, that's fine. But it's like, you know, I grew up watching a lot of these like weird horror movies, like predator kind of is, was a little bit of a horror movie. And, yep. uh, look at some of the stuff like, you know, the nightmare on Elm streets and the, the hell mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like, I want to talk about a mind fuck as a child, like watching Hellraiser and being like, what the fuck am I watching? Dude, dude that like, shit is still, that's, that stuff is still terrifying. The, yeah. Those old Hellraiser, like still. I mean, it's also one of the more infuriating franchises because by three, they basically just, everything you've been watching, let's restart and just none of it made any sense and we're not caring continuity-wise. You're like, what the, what? <laughs> but that's another topic for another time. But, uh, you know, you kind of touched on sports and I know in our emails we were actually, uh, I went to a Spurs game and you were talking about actually mm. going to the same game because uh, you're a Bulls fan. You're pretty much just a, a Chicago. I think you like sports kind of like I do, like where you like all sports, but you have yeah. in some in certain sports, you have your team. Yeah. But I think by and large, you're mostly a Chicago fan. Like you're a Cubs fan, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. My, my, okay. my dad uh, was uh, was raised in uh, in Chicago Heights. Uh, and I've actually never lived in Chicago, so it's funny. I just grew up with all the paraphernalia of Chicago sports teams in my house. Like it's it's hard to deny that when all your you know your your shirts as kids, it's like okay, here's a here's a Bulls shirt as a kid, here's a Bears shirt. So I grew up with the logos everywhere, and of course that was my really only exposure to sports as a kid. Was like here, watch Ryan Sandberg now, watch Michael Jordan, watch. You know, well, here's the Bears back when they were pretty good in the mid. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, it was kind of interesting because like I've this is the third or fourth professional basketball game I've been to. Uh, I think I've been to like two Pistons games, which the last time I saw a Pistons game is when Jerry Stackhouse had just joined after leaving mm. the Nets. Uh, 
And then coincidentally, the game that they played that I saw was against the Nets and Jason Kidd had just gone to the Nets uh, that first season. Oh, wow. Uh, so really long time ago, I saw a Pistons game. Um, and since then, like last year, my wife and I went to New Orleans. So I got to see, I think I told you, uh, got to see Zion, one of Zion's first games back uh, in the regular season against John Morant and the, the Grizzlies. And it was really fucking cool getting to see like, you know, JJ Redick and, you know, a lot of these other players I've long looked up to and stuff like that. But then like, even, you know, the thing for this Spurs game, like I was hanging out with, uh, my kind of week got fucked up a little bit. Cause we were supposed to hang out with Mark from nothing more on Saturday, the game, the day we went to the game. And then he's like, Oh, well, uh, my kids got state tournament thing for gymnastics. So like, let's do it at the front of the week that you're here. And I was like, okay. So I was supposed to go see the Clippers, which would have been really cool. Cause like, I've never been to a game where I'm seeing like the best players, like literally yeah. like the best players in the league playing. Um, although chances are Kawhi probably wouldn't have been playing and Paul George would have sat like half the game, but regardless restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. So uh, it was one of those things like, you know, for me getting to see the bulls was kind of cool. Cause I was like, you know, I've, I live three hours away from Chicago, but I've never gone to a Bulls game. Um, and, you know, they're kind of a, a legacy franchise, I would say, because of Jordan and all that kind of stuff. But for me, I was really looking forward to seeing Popovich coach. Um, yeah. Although it was weird because he just basically sat there and he didn't really coach a whole lot because that game kind of got away real fast uh, from the Bulls. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. Like, my wife's like, Bulls aren't very good, are they? I go, uh, I don't feel like they want to play. And I was like, and a bunch of trades just happened like the day before. So I think that kind of puts everyone in a funk of like, what is our team dynamic now? Um, now that yeah. some of the people are gone, maybe like the people that are gone weren't necessarily stars, but they might've been like that locker room spark um, kind of people. So yeah. it was, it was kind of funny. Like I was, as I was watching that game and they were up by like 30 at one point in the half, almost, I was like, what if Mark's uh, already turned this off? <laughs> I did. I did turn it off. I did. Yeah. I was really excited for that game too, because they just got uh, this guy, Nikola Vucevic from the Orlando magic in a trade. And he's averaging 25 points this year. And I think 10 or 11 rebounds. And uh, it was a good trade. Like on paper, it's an awesome trade. I just think it's one of those things where you see teams win at the trade deadline or they, they come out a better team, but just, they're not going to be firing in all cylinders. And I think they've lost four in a row until they beat Brooklyn last night. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll be good. I think you give them time. Um, they're out of a playoff spot so far. But um, as a Bulls fan for the past however long, it's like you don't come to expect too much. You just kind of be happy with with minor improvements uh, and, and and the promise for for a better future. So, yeah, my hopes are not too high. But I, I really I really was like wishing I was at that game until I saw the score. And they're like, oh, maybe I didn't really need to go. Well, I mean, it's funny because like we left during the th- – the end of the third quarter because i was like this looks like it's gonna be kind of a blowout like not a big deal um but was a thing where when i saw the final score they only lost by 16 so i mean they apparently made a run of it i don't know if it was with their starters and the spurs like reserves or what but like someone made a run of it and made it kind of close they made a run i think they got uh, as close as like seven seven or nine points with like four minutes left but then you know they just they just kind of <laughs> yeah. lost momentum from there but yeah but it's we should, uh, do a game. we should do a game again in the future man like next time you give me a shout i'll give you a shout if i'm nearby yeah no i would uh I, my wife wasn't isn't really big on basketball she's always like why does the last like two minutes take 20 minutes of a game and i'm like commercial breaks that's really why but and you know if it's a close game that's why it takes so long but it's uh it's a thing where when we went to that new orleans game you know like 
she didn't realize they play like a bunch of music and it's the live experience is way different than what you're seeing on TV. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've kind of gotten her to be like, Oh, basketball is kind of fun when you yeah. go see it in person. Same with like when I took her to a Braves game for the first time, um, she's like baseball so slow. It's so terrible. And we went to Atlanta to go see one of the last couple of games at the Ted. And it was a nice summer night. Game was good. Um, yeah. the crowd was kind of into it. Like Braves weren't playing for anything other than to knock the Tigers out of the fucking playoffs and yeah. was one of those things where she's like, this is a lot of fun. And then we went a cut like two years later, uh, to the new stadium. And like, that's a whole nother thing. Like when you get to see these newer stadiums, like, you know, she's been spoiled. Like we went to new Orleans. That's it. like the smoothie King centers, a newer stadium. We just went to the new AT&T center. Like that's a new stadium. Um, you know, like I think the shithole stadiums we've been to basically are, you know, even going to Lions games, that's really only like a 10 year old stadium. So it still feels pretty new. So it's like, yeah, dude, I love that stadium. Yeah. Um, um I think Wrigley's well, the only well, old one we've been to so far. And I, I was impressed with, there's no bad sight line that I can tell at that stadium. Yeah. yeah. Um, my wife and I, we lived in Washington DC when nationals park was built, uh, mm-hmm. in the, in the mid two thousands. And we, we went to Nationals games like the last season before they moved to Nationals Park. So it was at RFK Stadium. Oh, and okay. <laughs> what a horrendous place to watch a baseball game, man. It, it feels like you're seriously in like in like an old Kmart. You know, like that's the kind of vibe that's in there. It's, it's like kind of like musty, like the stadium is falling apart, um, bad sight lines and everything. But I mean, yeah, I mean, my wife's kind of the same way. Like she can't stand to watch it on tv it's like it's, it's insanely boring for her but then go to games especially baseball it's like you can sit there you can like eat a hot dog eat nachos hang out and have a conversation as there's sports happening so it's like it's not this crazy thing where your attention needs to be paid at what's happening on the field all the time but like you can sit there and just hang out and have a casually good time in like an objectively beautiful environment so yeah that's how i kind of turned her around on that too well, I think the other thing, too, is that they've started realizing that they need to give you a little bit more room in your seats so you're not like this the whole yeah, time. And exactly. I feel like the newer stadiums kind of have that in effect. So you're not mm-hmm. on top of each other. Excuse me. So I feel like that kind of creates a little bit more of a fun atmosphere when you're not uncomfortable, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever you ever been to uh, Wrigley or Fenway? I went to Wrigley. Uh, so funny thing, a couple of years ago, um, and I was going to try to go to a game in 12 days because that's as close as the Braves come out here. They don't play the Tigers other than spring training. Um, so I went to Wrigley one the couple of years ago to go see the Braves, and it was fucking miserable. It was like rainy sleet, mm-hmm. and it was like 30 degrees outside. Like I can't yeah. believe they had the game, but we went, and like our friends that came with us from uh, Oregon were like, kind of into it but like whatever and i was like hey look we can stay for a couple innings then we can leave especially if it's shitty out um so the first literally the first pitch ronald cooney just knocks one over uh the left field wall i'm stoked uh next thing you know i think it's like the third inning braves are up like seven to one or something like that i was like guys we can go let's go to a bar was this this the game where the cubs came all the way back so here's the funny thing though the bar we went to, like we went to a bar, grabbed dinner or grabbed like a late lunch kind of thing. And then we went to another bar that didn't have the game on. And so last I knew, like, cause the last I looked at it, the score was like 12 something. And I was like, Oh fuck Braves got it. Like, I'm not even going to bother looking anymore. And so we leave that restaurant or really leave that bar. And we're heading back toward like where our Airbnb is. And we're kind of going back toward Wrigley 
And I have all these, and I'm, you know, in my Deion Sanders jersey and stuff like that. And I have all these like Cubs fans going like, hey man, great game and high-fiving me and shit. And I'm like, wow, the Cubs fans are really gracious losers. <laughs> then I happened to walk by Wrigley and see the final score. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, how did we lose that? And I go, oh, these motherfuckers were trolling me the whole, like my quarter of a block walk, like assholes. That's that's the Chicago I know. <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. I remember that game too. I, I, I didn't watch, like I stopped watching early on and then I followed it on my phone. I think me and my wife were out at a bar too. Like we had gone out to get food and, and drinks. So it was on a weekend, I believe. And, yep. and um, yeah, I remember following my phone. Like, I'm like, Babe, you're not going to believe what's happening in this game. It's like they're coming back. Like holy shit! And then I, I think they won in the bottom of the ninth or something like that. Like I think it was like the tenth inning. I think it went to like okay. extra innings and they won in like the extra inning. Yeah, which which was like their biggest comeback since in in decades or something like that. And yeah, it's, it's funny you just mentioned that game because that's one of the most memorable um, Cubs experiences uh, since since the World Series year. Yeah, it's a great, great game. And sorry as a Braves fan, but you know what? Your day will come very soon because the Braves are fucking great. Dude, I mean, they're not starting off great right now, but I mean, thankfully, we're not only playing a 60-game, 62-game season this season, so yeah. I'm not that worried about it. We're right. like, at literally every game fucking counts out the gate. But last season, I was literally... Uh, I had a friend that went to one of the the uh, championship series games against the Dodgers, and I was like, "Yo, you're at that game? Like, I didn't know you liked either of the teams." He goes, "I'm I, I'm not really a fan of either, but like tickets are you got to buy them in fours, but because it's a neutral site and they're just basically that's where the World Series was going to be as well was that stadium in Houston, I think, where the Astros were going, or maybe yeah. it was yeah." Um, that basically no one was going because everyone was kind of afraid to go out at that point during the pandemic. And he goes, so it was like 500 bucks, I think for the four pack, or he basically said it broke down to be about a hundred and might've been more than that. He said it was like about 130 bucks a person per ticket for like the nosebleeds. Um, And I was like, do you think they're going to be roughly the same price for the world series? Cause at that point the Braves were one game away from the world series. And he goes, yeah, I don't know. But like, we're talking about going to a game if whoever makes it. And I was like, well, shit. Um, I feel like I got to go to a game, you know, especially a world series. Like, I don't know, like Braves haven't been to one in fucking 20 years at this point. Yeah. And I, you know, my wife looked up flights. She goes, I found you a flight out there for really cheap one way or not one way, but like to get out there. And I really wanted her to go too, but she was like, ah, like if, if it comes down to money, I'd rather send you so you can go to a game. Uh, and then like my buddy was like, you can stay with me for free. So like I had it all set up, like just, they needed to win one more fucking game. And then I was, I was gone. Uh, I had everything ready to go. And then the collapse happened and I was eventually the, uh, so hard for you guys i was rooting hard i i really was and like nothing against dodgers but like man i was i, I, I don't know I, I really like the braves team i really do and i'm not just saying that to kiss your ass on the show I <laughs> but i do I, I think they have like some of the coolest most exciting young players in the league i think it's good for baseball when the braves are good like for as much as people say oh you know it's good for baseball when the yankees and dodgers are good it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of 90s nostalgia when it comes to the braves and like a lot of people in our age demographic they associate greatness in the sport with fucking Terry Pendleton, Ron Gant, you know, Greg Maddox, Smoltz, John Smoltz, yep. you know, uh, Tom John Blatt, Rocker, especially <laughs> John Rocker. Uh, yeah. David Justice before he David became a white Beater. Kenny Lofton, dude. Like, no, fuck Kenny uh, Lofton. Hmm. 
He only played. So I have a huge disdain for Kenny Lofton because he was an Why? Indian. Because he played, for, he only played for the Braves for one season. We got him uh, when he became a free agent or in a trade. I think actually we got him from the Indians, yeah. and I don't remember who we traded for him. But I fucking hated him because like the Braves and the Indians always were kind of in the the playoffs against each other, and so it was either like we got knocked out because of them or we had a real tough time against them. And, you know, like then we'd kind of be, you know, six games and then we'd play a team that was fresh and then lose against them in the next round. And, you know, I, for whatever you can sit there and say, like those things don't matter. But like, I think that was the thing with the Braves. And especially now that the playoffs kind of go back to back to back, like, you know, back to back games is if you're riding a streak, like, baseball is all about streaks and trends and shit. And like, once you start getting confidence and then sub sub or the adverse, when a team starts losing confidence, like, man, that just shit changes so quickly. So yeah. it, while you can sit there and say, and, and say with basketball and stuff like that, like momentum is a hell of a thing. And, and if you kind of went to war with the team in the first round of a playoff and the other team fucking smoked their team and had all this extra rest and they're kind of seeing what you're doing and some of the problems you're having, you're now having one day to prepare for the team you have to play or, you know, a couple of days where they've had the whole series to watch you. Right. And right. I think that, you know, can't be understated, but it uh was one of those things. Kenny, Lo I just hated Kenny Lofton. I think he's a great player. I just don't like him. I think, I think it's one of those things. If you have your team, there's that one player from another team. You know, I think the best analogy I made is Kenny Lofton is my Jack Parkman from major league. I like when I had him, I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, it's great. We got a great center fielder. He's fast. He can steal, you know, he'll be good for the team, but I still don't fucking like him. And then he left and went back to the Indians. I was like, ah, see, I knew I didn't fucking like you, <laughs> but it's a, uh, it's a thing. Yeah. I think um, the Braves, like, you know, a lot of people ask like how, you know, cause I grew up initially in Delaware. That's where I'm from. And then I, I live here in Michigan. So people are like, how did you become a Braves fan? And it all started with Deion Sanders. You know, when I started getting into football, like I liked him and then, you know, fell in love with the Braves team and then just kind of have stayed a Braves fan. But it's interesting because as you were kind of saying with, you know, the bears, even the, I expected the Braves to be good. We had pieces, we had a good farm system and we had things in place that I knew we were going to be good probably starting now. But when I was like, we, we have the pieces and we'll be good in about three, four years. They started being good. Like that first season, they made the playoffs. We didn't do very good. We got knocked out right away, but I was like, holy shit. I didn't even expect them to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So every year we've seen a progression, like, you know, they make it a little bit further. Um, right. So to be one game away from the world series, I'm hoping they're able to kind of connect in with the pieces they got kind of put it together and, and have a world series run. But it's one of those like where being a sports fan, when you're loyal to a team, like you're like, fuck, I hope this is the year. And, you know, like, I remember when the Cubs won that World Series, like, my wife has a knack for going to bed for some of the craziest, like, championship moments. She went to bed during that Atlanta-New England World, uh, Super Bowl. Mm. New England's done. Mm. Woke up the next morning, and she was like, so, Atlanta won? I was like, no! Atlanta <laughs> lost! <laughs> and she was like, how? And I was like, you missed, like, the most epic comeback I've ever seen. Right. Same with when we were watching that World Series game that the Cubs ended up winning, she went to bed and she was like, oh, so the Cubs lost. It's like, no, it was, no. oh my God, it was like <laughs> the wildest World Series I've ever fucking seen. So yeah. if she goes to bed yeah. early during a championship game, I'm pretty much guaranteeing something amazing is going to happen. Something crazy is going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so, amazing. Yeah. What, uh, 
kind of speaking of that, have you ever been approached uh, or have you approached um, the Cubs franchise or anybody to, you know, do like a guitar playthrough of the national anthem or something fun like that? Well, it's funny, like not, not with the Cubs. Uh, First of all, a a friend of mine, um, Rob Scallon, he's kind of a, he's a YouTuber, internet personality guitarist, uh, really nice guy. He, um, he threw out the first pitch at Wrigley a couple of years Mm. ago. And and I was like, motherfucker, (laughs) first of all, like, fuck you, you know, <laughs> God damn it. Um, no, I, I, I was very happy for him, but also the child in me was, uh, was, was, was seething, you know, out of jealousy and, uh, and yeah, I, that, that was an amazing thing. That would be a dream come true. Like literally I could get hit by a, by a Mack truck the next day and just be fine with it. Um, but, um, this was maybe six, seven years ago, Paul Reed Smith, um, Paul Reed Smith hit me up. I, I think it was like the day of or something like that or, or, or some, some place where I was either not in town or not prepared, but he hit me up and he was like, Hey, I'm playing the Anthem at the Orioles game. Um, and you know, Paul, Paul and I have, have worked together for a while now, like eight, eight, nine years. Um, uh, you know, he's the head of PRS, the founder. Uh, and he, he hit me up to see if, if I would perhaps be able to do it. And it like, it really, like do it with him, you know, like both of us do it. And uh, yeah, that was one of my biggest grievances in life is not having done that. So that's on my bucket list. And if I could do it in Chicago, I mean, that would be, you know, life-changing stuff. That that would be on my, you know, internal mantle of amazing moments in my life, you know. I got to ask, how do you think you would fare in a first pitch? Would you be like 50 cent or like wh- where do you think you would feel like where how good do you think you could get the ball across the plate? I, I think I could. I think I could do it pretty well. Like for, first of all, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It wouldn't be one of these things where I wouldn't even think about it and then just fly to Chicago and do it. Like I, if if I got a heads up that I'd be doing it a month from now, I would be outside in my fucking backyard <laughs> or in my driveway, like practicing with my wife every day for hours, like making sure I could just not embarrass myself. Like I don't need to throw a strike, but just like yeah, don't. Was Fifty Cent the one who like bounced it off the fucking? mound or something yeah one of <laughs> yeah. one of the people that has done that yes <laughs> yeah yeah i don't want to be that guy because that i that that would go with me the rest of my life you know but yeah i, I would make sure i didn't completely humiliate myself in, in that moment I, I think i would do well mark my words <laughs> i this isn't a i'm gonna ask this question and it's not a knock even though some people might perceive it to be have you guys played arenas or whatever with anybody to where like they they gift you like the jerseys with your names on them and such Mm, man see that's another that's another step that's another level that i want to get to as a band (laughs) (laughs) um no i'm just kidding um we we played arena the only time in our career we ever played legit arenas was in europe um it was in 2011 or 2012 with dream theater um, we went out and we did a month or five weeks in Europe with them. We were playing hockey arenas, uh, mm-hmm. European hockey arenas. So like, I, I'm not, I love American hockey. I just not too familiar with European hockey. Never saw any jerseys getting handed out, but, um, no, man, like I, I, um, last time I saw bring me the horizon here in the U S like they played, I think Houston. And I noticed, I think it was all either singer. He had a Blackhawks Jersey on and I'm like, motherfucker, how'd you get that? How'd you get that? How'd you get that? Um, and it's just like the stealthed out black Blackhawks jersey. And uh, yeah, I saw that they got comped that when they played in uh, in Chicago. And uh, yeah, very, very jealous. But if, if we reach a level where we can do that, that that'd be really sweet. Because to me, that's like 
tying two of my favorite things together, you know, sports and music. It's uh it's one of those that like I always make the comment because a lot of people are surprised that I like sports as much as I do. Um <laughs> and know about as much of it as I do. And I'm like, you know, growing up, like in high school, like I love sports and I love music. Like I played football, I play, I wrestled, I played basketball, I ran track, like I did a bunch of stuff. And then it's like in high school though, like I had all my sports friends and I barely had anyone into music as much as yeah. I was. Then I graduated and I had all my friends loves like love music and most hate sports. Yeah. So it's like, I don't find there to be much like as much as I've done the podcast and like, I would, I've actually made the joke. I would love to do a sports podcast where I basically kind of do this, but like, I just have someone on like to talk about sports. Um, and you it's basically it. you and I should do it. You and I should should do that because I could do I could do this for days, and we could fucking make music references and, and yeah. go back to sports. Dude, dude, that's my passion, man. And like like you're saying, when you were a kid, you had trouble finding this sort of like common ground between people. Dude, it was the same for me. All, all my music friends, like they didn't know who fucking Mark McGuire was. It's like they, they, they played for the A's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, pre juice, pre juice, uh, McGuire. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe there was zero crossover, and I remember being looked at kind of weird for like following Sammy Sosa and the Cubs, and like being religious about that, but also wanting to go home and play guitar and being obsessed with like Metallica and Pantera and Judas Priest and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, the older I got, the you know the reverse happened, where all of my sports friends would listen to like Sugar Ray, and I'm like, I don't give a fuck about Sugar Ray. It's like just <laughs> let's talk about metal. There, there was no. There's no crossover. And the older I get and the more I do this, like I find that some of my closest friends in this business, there's always that sort of common ground. It's like um Doc is the one for me. What's that? Doc is usually one of the ones for me. Like whenever we get to talking about something, it's always like whenever I think he's been on three or four times and we always always end up talking about sports. Like I think one of the first times I had him on, we we got to talking about, you know, th- obviously the debate uh, that always ends up happening generationally with, you know, who's the GOAT, who's this, you know, LeBron and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we got onto this thing about how it's easy to say that Jordan is the way he is, but like indirectly, he, we didn't, ha- no one had a direct line to Jordan to be like, yo, you fucking suck today or whatever. And like, like the, players now have to have a mental capacity. I think, and we both kind of said this more than the players from before, because of having to be under the 24 hour news cycle. And, you know, literally I I can, I can tweet and private message LeBron James. Will he see it? Probably not. But the fact that I can do that, that didn't exist. Kevin Durant. If you, if you DM Kevin Durant, he'll probably look at it, especially if it's negative. Well, I, yeah, you know who won't see it? Paul Pierce, because he's too busy with uh, fucking strippers and shit. Holy <laughs> shit. That made my fucking weekend this weekend. Holy shit. No, but you're right, dude, because like, okay. Okay. I love The Last Dance. One of the things that I wish they touched more on was the darker side of Jordan's career, the gambling and whatnot. And they touched on it as as sort, sort of like... Um, but he had Final Cut. That's why they wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They touched on it a little bit. They kind of alluded to it and, and they went into it. Just surface level, but there's a lot there. And and that's kind of what I was hoping to see more of. But do you think that like if LeBron James or or someone LeBron's a perfect example, the biggest athlete in the world, right? The most famous person in the world. If he was deep into gambling, how much shit we would be giving him on a we daily We give Charles basis? Barkley so much shit because he opened we know he gambles. 
Yeah. He's bad at it. But like we give Charles Barkley a ton of shit for it still. Yeah, exactly. And 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 Jordan was just worse <laughs> neck deep in it, man. And like I, I wonder sometimes it's like what how different would that have made him if you were I, getting that kind of examination? I want to pose this to you because like, you know, obviously we've already just said that you know you grew up a big Chicago fan. You obviously have, and I think I've only, I think now we hear about it because the internet being what it is, but I think back then I only knew about it as much as I do by being so close to Chicago. How much credence do you think there is to the theory that Jordan's father was killed because of his gambling debts and shit? Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it. And I hate speculating about something as, um, yeah, as serious and fucked up as that was. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it certainly reeks of, uh, sketchiness but yeah i mean from all accounts I, th- I think it looks like it was just like this random incident right but 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 you never know it's like that's the scary thing about being deeply in debt is is that you fuck with some powerful people and we've all watched enough mobster shows or, or what mobster movies to know that they can make anything look happenstance they can make anything look like a coincidence so so yeah it's who, who knows man but good things don't don't really happen if you're in debt you know if you're that deep into gambling Good things ain't going to happen. I think the crazy thing, though, too, is like, you know, as of when we're recording this, uh, the Space Jam 2, I don't think they're calling it Space Jam 2, but the new Space Jam is coming out. The trailer just came out and everyone's shitting on LeBron for having Gandalf, Iron Giant and someone else like even in the movie, he needs a super team. Michael Jordan did it with Bill Murray and fucking, you know, uh, Newman from Seinfeld. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a fucking kids movie. Jesus Christ. Like I even, even in a movie where he's doing something just to like, you know, yeah. yeah. Like, man, the motherfucker can't win. Like, I know. and I think, I think that's the crazier thing too, is like, you know, like you were saying earlier about like being under the microscope and just seeing like how much attention, the scary attention to detail, pe- like these players and people who become, you know, these prolific players, uh, whether they be musicians or, or athletes or whatever, the fact that LeBron spends a million dollars plus on his body, I think showcases that he wants to be around. I mean, yeah. everyone jokes that he like gets cramps and all this kind of shit, but it's like, <laughs> you ever tried doing anything through a cramp and like you're trying and you just like it shuts you down, man. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I know a lot of people like show people like with broken noses and whatever from hockey. And it's like, yeah, it's not quite the same, but yeah. I don't know. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, just like, you know, I said with like metal is has elitist. I think sports people are just elitist. Oh. Like, my favorite, it wasn't a meme, it was a video, and it pops up every so often. And it was this this uh, father who's like, all right, I'm a dead to debate on who was the greatest LeBron or Jordan. Like, right here, here we go. Jordan, when he like lost, couldn't fucking beat the Pistons, couldn't beat the uh, Celtics, couldn't beat all these players. When he finally did, he beat, you know, a sorry ass. Like, he goes, what was, who did Portland have? And he like named off these like old ass motherfuckers from this thing. He beat an old time Showtime without fucking Byron Russell and all these motherfuckers. He beat like all, and then he's like, he didn't beat nobody in their fucking prime. Oh, you beat Utah. Who the fuck they got? Two people who are over 40, like who, <laughs> like, you know, Stockton and Malone and shit. He's like, he didn't never fucking go through anyone in their prime. LeBron went through these like and he's like naming like he goes went through the warriors like you know yeah. went through you know these teams like you know went through teams that had you know that spurs team when the heat won where he's like dude you had fucking four hall of famers all stars on that team look at any of jordan's runs who do they fucking have like that were like that were that stacked nobody yeah. and you're kind yeah. of like i know it's a different i know it's a different league a different era and a different kind of playing style but it's like 
LeBron also went to eight finals in a fucking row. Name me another person who's done that other than Bill Russell. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like it becomes one of those things where, and I think it kind of even like I said earlier, where people with DMX, like where people can't appreciate something until it's fucking gone. Like to me, I'm looking at this and like, I may not like a player or a team necessarily, but like, I mean, at least with basketball, I just love watching good basketball. But to me, it's like, I want like everyone shit on Kobe for a while. Oh, he's so mean. He won't pass the ball. All this, that, the other. Like, I saw the trade deadline meme or uh, quote from the other day where he's like, Jeremy Lin said, uh, Kobe came into the locker room and goes, I want to wish or I want to say goodbye to some of you bums who are getting, who are leaving <laughs> tomorrow or something like that who are getting traded and uh, all that kind of shit. And it's like, you know, we won't have another Kobe because you can't be ruthless like that anymore. Yeah. Like we were saying, like because of the public eye and, and Twitter and all that kind of shit. I mean, we saw the Lakers before LeBron went there kind of fall apart because of what D'Angelo Russell did. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I mean, like there's just shit like that. Where, like where you can't have that. And I just love seeing players play. I love seeing greatness. I love watching I mean, Paul Pierce, like I said, as funny as I think that is, fuck it. Who cares? He literally called an escort over and told her, hey, girl, come on over. You're, you can make some money tonight. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, I think you just literally invited an escort over on Instagram Live for 315 people. And now you're getting roasted in the fucking comments the next day on Twitter. Like, I, you Dude, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's happening the older I get, maybe the less jaded I become. But I, I used to be such a hater and such a sourpuss for these people who would dominate their sports. And like for the longest time, I was like, I was not a LeBron guy. And, and I, I guess I'm still not. I, I think I think he's an amazing, like it seems like he's a really great dude, like an objectively, like a good humanitarian guy um, from all the work that he does on the side of basketball. But um and I'm, I'm the same way with Brady. It's like, I'm sick of watching Tom Brady win. But I'm at, <laughs> I'm at this point where I'm like, we got to just appreciate greatness. Just appreciate it. And when, when Kobe died, it's it, it was it was kind of this like, damn, we got to see that dude. Like, we got to watch that guy. And he, you could just flip on on any given night, and, and flip on the TV, and, and watch a master do his thing. And, and I try and and – and relate this over to music as well. It's like, I'm fucking lucky that I got to be alive and like, and learn from Metallica as they were doing their thing, climbing throughout their career. Like I'm privileged. And like, I think the more I think about that kind of stuff and, and how just lucky I am to be able to watch the greats do their thing as it's happening, uh, the more I'm able to just learn and appreciate. And, and it's, it's a, it's a good feeling to sort of take stock of, of, just the sheer amount of greatness that you're able to watch every single day. Well, I think the thing that's interesting about it too, is like, you know, like you were kind of saying, and like we do, if you follow a team or even just a, a league, like a sport, you see the young players coming and you, you hope that they're going to, you get excited about what they potentially will offer. Like Zion is kind of one of the, a throwback player of sorts, you know, with his size and the way he plays that like we haven't seen that really in a while. And it reminds me of like when people get excited about a band like code orange or knock loose or power trip or, you know, and I know these aren't newer bands anymore, but like, I remember seeing code orange with twitching tongues at a venue here in town. And there was like 30 people. And then the next time I saw them, they were opening for hate breed and at a sold out venue. And I'm like, two years went by and I went from seeing an underground band to now a band that everyone knows and loves. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the thing when you're a fan of something, if you are a fan of it, like a lifelong fan, you will see these ebbs and flows and you you hopefully will be excited about the new crop of what's coming in that will keep yeah. you around for long term. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't couldn't agree more, man. It's 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 nice to watch a band do their thing on a small level, and then stick with them, like like follow their success and be happy for them, as opposed to this old school mentality which I used to have of when a band broke, it's like, you know what? Fuck those guys like sellouts. You know what I mean? Like, like everybody else likes them. So I'm not going to like them anymore. I think it's a really sort of uh, juvenile way to look at things, which like I said, I, I, I used to look at music that way. I used to look at sports that way. I used to look at a lot of things in my life like that. Like, Oh, now all these people like it. So I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, at the end of the day, it's just like, you like what you like and, and fuck it. doesn't matter if it's as popular as Coca-Cola now. It's like, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I got to wrap up here really soon I'm, and I don't want to shortchange this topic. So I'm going to put a pin in this. We'll do hopefully another one at another time to um, actually talk about your sobriety. That's something I really wanted to talk about. Um, it's yeah. a thing that I think, uh, you know, you've been uh, pretty vocal about. Um, and I think even as I kind of talked to you in the emailings before setting this up, um, that even though we're, you know, we're called brutally speaking and, you know, we're basically uh, have brew in our name. It, kind of is just more of a play on words of having brutally honest conversations or just fun conversations basically. But, um, sometimes, you know, the, the aesthetic is, you know, having drinks with your friends at a bar and just kind of being a fly on the wall for those kind of conversations is really what the crux of the show tries to achieve. Um, and I know that that's something that you've been, you know, doing, I think, uh, you're, is it two years sober now or a little over? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess almost a year and a half or maybe a year and five months uh, in a couple of days. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm happy to talk about, it. like you said, I am pretty vocal about, it. I don't shy away from talking about that. Um, uh, my, my relationship with drinking started in the, um, late nineties. I, I, I spent my teenage years living in Spain, in Southern Spain. Um, my, my stepfather was military and in Spain, you only really need to be as tall as the bar to order a drink. <laughs> there, there, there's no ID checking. There's no regulation when it comes to that stuff. So it's like, I would, I was 16 and ordering, you know, freaking red wines and, 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 and beers and tequilas from the, from the bar there. And I, like, I may have gotten a, gotten a little crazy a handful of times in those days, but like, I never like went to the hospital or blacked out from drinking or anything like that. But it, it that, that era in my life kind of made me associate being social with mm being inebriated to some extent, whether it was just like a little buzzed or feeling a little loose or feeling a little relaxed. And that stuck with me like throughout all of my twenties and nearly all of my thirties. It's like to enhance a feeling or to diminish it. If you're feeling good, if it's a nice sunny day outside, what sounds good? Cold beer, cold beer, you know, or if you've had a rough day or shit's kind of bad, it's like, man, you know what? Give me a fucking tall glass of wine or something. Uh, cause it's been a bad day. The thing is that every day it, it is going to be like that. If, if that's your sort of litmus test as to what you're going to do with a certain feeling, every day is going to bring you some emotion, which you feel like subconsciously you have to medicate, whether it's enhanced or to, to diminish. And at some point, a, a couple of years ago, it started to occur to me. It's like, that's not, that's not a very, it, at least in my opinion, I'm not knocking those who do it, but it's like, it, it didn't feel like a very um, pragmatic adult way for me to face real feelings and real emotions and real problems and issues I, I have. And we all have them. And it's up to each one of us to learn how to deal with these things. And for a while, that felt normal. That felt sustainable. But at a certain point, I felt like I needed to make a decision to 
cope with life on on life's terms, as cliche as it sounds, uh, without feeling the need to color it with alcohol or color it with weed or color it with whatever kind of substance uh, you're talking about. Uh, and it, it's kind of like learning how to live. Again, it's 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 kind of like dealing with feelings as you're pouring a growler. Is that a okay? water? Water. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't judge you if you did, man. Uh, no, no, I so I found because I have a beer fridge behind me. But uh, okay. actually, coincidentally enough, I'm taking a, a sober uh, April. Um, oh, nice. But since I have a fridge, it's kind of hard to. I, my fridge won't hold one of those giant water things. So I realized a growler is perfect because it's glass. So when it gets cold, it gets super cold. Um, so I've been keeping a couple of these in my beer fridge. Um, so that's why I've kind of also been making sure people can see that it's clear. So you're not like, what kind of beer is clear? Ew. <laughs> um, no, but to, to answer your question, like, like um, yeah, fr- friends of mine are like, do you mind? You, you don't mind if I'm like, I'm like dude, I, I love it when you're fucked up. Please get fucked up in front of me. Like, please, <laughs> please, please be high. Um and uh yeah it never bothers me but i mean a- anyways like i feel it's it, it's like um it's learning how to lean into feelings and lean into the momentum of life with training wheels all over again and it's uh it's just really fun fulfilling satisfying process like when when you learn to deal with amazing shit in life lucidly and clear-headedly when you learn to deal with loss or grief or with whatever kind of negative shift shit life throws at you to deal with that lucidly, to deal with that with the same kind of headspace that you're in when you're dealing with good stuff. It's just trying to keep things consistent and apply the same kind of uh, tact to everything in life with just with just clarity. And and that's the point that I felt like I needed to hit. And uh, I again, my goal is not to sound preachy to, to anybody because whatever works for you works for you. Um, but for me, that's what I felt like I needed. And uh, I mean, to be honest, dude, I, I feel, I feel pretty fucking awesome, but just a, a year and uh, five months into it. It's like, yeah, I, I feel great. Now my next sort of goal is to, uh, you know, once this pandemic clears up and once we're all vaccinated and able to get on tour again, is just to apply some of the things that I'm learning through sobriety here at home during the pandemic out to, you know, the, the, the bigger scheme uh as far as touring and the music business goes so uh so yeah i'm i'm definitely very very thankful very grateful that uh i i made that decision a year and a half ago so excited to see where it goes yeah most definitely um thanks for taking the time i i mean i could keep talking to you for a little while longer but unfortunately i gotta go back to work um and uh make some money but um Let's do it again yeah. sometime, man. Happy yeah, to, do it again, and uh, maybe we'll figure out like a monthly side thing where we just bullshit about sports. Like, I would almost love to say, like, oh, let's do every other week weekend or something like that, and just kind of like a quick like yeah. wrap up of like what's been going on. Because like yeah. this is this is like the fun part of sports right now is baseball's just underway. Oh yeah, basketball's getting ready. We're real close to the playoffs. Football's NFL coming coming up. Yep. NFL drafts coming up. College football's getting ready to go. March Madness is wrapping up, so you can kind of start talking about like. Who, where do you think who's going where and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you're a Knicks fan, you're probably ready to get another power forward uh, that you don't need. <laughs> and uh, if you're the Nets and you're trying to figure out, can you uh, have a practice squad uh, where you have players signed uh, to keep getting all these other players? And uh, yeah. it's uh, yeah. it's a lot of fun. So thanks Let's for taking the time and uh, we'll do another one. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you, man. So that was my conversation with Mark Holcomb of Periphery and Haunted Shores. Uh, Again, we didn't really talk about Periphery 
as far as like the new music they're working on or Haunted Shores, I know that him and Misha are working on some new music for that as well. But, you know, I do find it interesting basically being one of those people who has grown up with the internet and seeing how it's changed over the decades at this point. It's kind of weird to say it like that, but over the decades and basically seeing how it started off as kind of a thing to to literally connect us to then see what it's grown into between, you know, MySpace really, for me, being an awesome tool for teaching a lot of us how to kind of code. Uh, if you really got into designing your site, your your page of sorts, as well as even kind of embracing a new kind of community. I mean, like, think about the bands that were basically breaking because they were being found on on MySpace. I know I had an iPod, again, going back to iPods, I had an iPod that was stolen from me that had probably 20 gigs worth of music that I had found through staying up late on random nights listening to music and then seeing someone's top eight and going and checking out a band or, you know, falling down the rabbit hole. And, and there's no way to get that music back because I don't necessarily remember any of those bands. I just found them, heard a song, really liked it, downloaded it and whatever. And, you know, we see bands like In This Moment and all that kind of stuff that grew from that that era of having that accessibility and having that community that we were able to start expounding upon through social media. But unfortunately now with Facebook, with Instagram, with all these things and, and Twitter and like the, the tools are kind of meant to be something different. Like I think Facebook is different from Instagram is different from Twitter. However, with everyone kind of getting bought by Zuckerberg, there's kind of this formation. There's kind of this thing now where it's like, there's not, like Instagram still is Instagram, but now I can go to Facebook. So now you can add a longer caption or whatever. And it's, you know, even Twitter now is longer. So like you, you don't have to be as concise as I felt like you used to be, but I don't really think they're conducive for building communities necessarily. Like they, like MySpace and so forth and Zanga and all those used to be. Um, I feel like it's actually a lot more damning and detrimental. You know, as we were saying with the DMX thing, I feel like I see so many people now who are posting things, and I feel like they do it for clout, not because they necessarily are a fan of a thing, but because they can be quote-unquote first, uh, or, you know, prove that they were into something before uh, either it blew up or the person passed away or whatever. It's a very weird time to be alive and remember when social media wasn't what it has become. I don't know if maybe giving a voice to everybody and a platform is something that is good uh, or not. I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, it kind of reminds me of that scene with Lucius Fox from uh, that Batman movie where basically he's trying to find Joker to, to save people, but he's spying, you know, Bruce is basically spying on fucking everybody, taking away their privacy uh, to do it. And it's kind of one of those, like, how far is too far, even if the goal is to do something good with with the instrument you're given. Um, I mean, I think back to that conversation with Aaron uh, Thompson from last week where, you know, he basically was talking about how tools are only as good as what you intend to do with them. Like some people could like, you know, the blowtorch analogy used was fucking great. Like you can use a blowtorch and it makes some amazing things, amazing art. People who know how to use it properly can do amazing things with it. However, you give it to someone who doesn't know how to use it and they're more liable to cause damage or hurt themselves or others in the process. And I think that applies to the internet. I think, by and large, I think it's a, it's a great tool, but I think a lot of us use it incorrectly, and all it does is cause pain and harm to a lot of us. So I would love nothing more than to, to get a, away from social media, if at all possible, but unfortunately, I have to post uh, podcast stuff, and uh, so it keeps me tied to the, to the machine of sorts, but... Uh, 
So really want to thank Mark for taking the time again. And uh, hopefully we get to do this uh, sports podcast, as, as you heard in the intro and during our conversation. That's something we're both really passionate about and I think would be a lot of fun. So hopefully that's something that we can uh, announce soon and kind of start the project and see what it becomes. Uh, so more on that, hopefully in the near future. And if you would like to keep up with Mark, uh, you can follow him at Mark periphery on Instagram and Twitter. If you would like to keep up with periphery, it's periphery band on Facebook periphery at Instagram periphery band on Twitter and haunted shores. As I said, are doing some stuff. So check them out on Instagram at haunted shores official and Twitter at haunted shores DC. If you would like to keep up with this podcast, it's simple. Everything is at brucebeakpod.com. It is a landing page for everything. This podcast for a reason, go over, there uh whatever you're listening to this podcast on if you're able to leave a rating review whatever please do that it helps tremendously and uh, our podcast sponsors help us tremendously they're able to offset a lot of the bills that come with making a podcast so want to give them a shout out again rockabilia head on over to rockabilia.com use our code brew save 10 percent off your total purchase order on point palmate use our code bsp15 and take 15 percent off your total purchase keep your beard and hair looking on point and last but not least is the bean bastard head on over to the and pick up some delicious coffee uh really love those guys what they're doing and for the brutally speaking podcast i am john and i'll talk to you next week with stormy daniels and justin aka the Spooky Babes, we get into some paranormal talk for the first time on this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. We'll talk to you then.